Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. I'm your host, Linda Kozar, and today I'm going to be talking with Amanda Barrett. She's the best-selling author of numerous historical novels and novellas, including Within These Walls of Sorrow, a novel of World War II Poland, The White Rose Resist, a novel of the German students who defied Hitler, and My Dearest Dietrich, a novel of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Lost Love. Her work has been the recipient of the Christie Award, the Carroll Award, and an honorable mention in the Forward Indies Book of the Year Award. Amanda is, a, is passionate about illuminating all forgotten facets of history through a fictional narrative. She lives in Michigan and can often be found researching her next novel, catching up on her to-be-read stack, and savoring a cup of tea. Find her online at amandabarrett.com. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much, Linda. It's a joy to be here. Well, um, I'm excited about uh, about your book, Within These Walls of Sorrow. Can you tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, how did you find out about it? I mean, because you're probably a history buff and you happened to cross it, but can you tell us that story? Absolutely. So how I discovered this story is I have been researching the Second World War um, for many years, but... I had not heard of this story until I was watching um, a YouTube video of an American high school teacher who took his students to the Krakow ghetto um, to visit some of the places that they'd been learning about in their Holocaust and Genocide Studies class, and one of those places was um, the Under the Eagle Pharmacy. And this brief overview of the story of this pharmacy in the ghetto was the spark that spurred me to delve deeper. And the more I began to research both the Krakow ghetto and the role of this pharmacy, the more convinced I became that this needed to be um, told in novel format. Um, I think that though the Second World War and the Holocaust, you know, and they've been written about extensively, extensively books and films and things, there are still these countless stories that remain untold or little known. And as a novelist, I really thrive on excavating those forgotten fragments of history and crafting them into an accessible narrative. You're kind of a story archaeologist. Yes, yes. I love just... I love I love the research process. That's probably my favorite part of the process. And so, just to be able to, you know, to dig deep and to find these little known stories and these unsung heroes. And in the in the Second World War, there are so many of them. Oh yes. So, how did you go about uh, researching this? And so, for this novel. 
research for me is a process that begins long before I sit down to write chapter one. So for this novel, I, Tadeusz Pankiewicz, um, a Polish pharmacist on whom my story, um, the pharmacy is you know inspired by, he wrote a memoir after the war. And so I read his memoir and I read dozens of survivor accounts and testimonies of people who were in the Krakow ghetto in the various laboring concentration camps portrayed in the novel. And I studied about life in the Krakow ghetto and listened to lots of testimonies that were made available by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And because I wrote this novel right in the midst of the pandemic, I wasn't able to travel to Poland for research, but the staff at the museum that commemorates the pharmacy, they were invaluable in providing floor plans. They provided interviews with the women who worked at the pharmacy. And so I continued to research throughout the writing process because I'm seeking to authentically portray and honor the experiences of these real men and women, these real heroes to my fictional characters. Um, can you tell us how to pronounce their names? I, I, I mean, Socia, is it Socia Lewandowska and Hania Silberman? Yes, it's Zosia Lewandowska and Hania Silberman. Okay. okay. <laughs> I made an attempt. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I've, I've had people say all kinds of things, Zosia. And the Polish, you know, I'm Polish. Um, I have Polish ancestry, but I definitely had to do, learn how to pronounce all of these things. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, so was it was it hard? Um, I mean, was the language barrier um, difficult sometimes? I mean, even though it's translated into English, it's, it's always not always perfect, you know. Uh, or um, you're not able always to understand it, you know. You know, translations, things are lost in translations. Did you have any difficulty yes, with that? Yes, um, there is a very solid translation of Tadeusz Pankiewicz's memoir, but, um, and then, like I say, the staff at the pharmacy, they translated German edicts for me, you know, into English, so I was able to access them. I got very familiar with some wonderful translation sites that I found seemed to provide a pretty accurate translation for different articles and things, because these stories are so much more well-known in Poland than they are here in the United States. Um, um, were some, I don't know if you um, did research on some of the medicines and treatments that were available in pharmacies um, many years ago, but did anything surprise you that you came across? Um, yes, I did do a lot of research into into pharmacy in the 1940s. It was a little bit difficult to find information about Polish pharmacies in the 1940s, but I, there are some museums over there, and then I was able to find some resources. Um, so that was definitely a fascinating thing. One of the things I found super fascinating was that this pharmacy um, in Krakow, you know, so they're in Krakow during the ghetto period, and then their deportations begin where they're sending people to the Belgian extermination camp, even though the Jewish people think they're only going to work camps in the east. And so one of the things that the pharmacy provided was they made hair dye in the pharmacy that then they were able to give to people who were older um, to give them like an appearance of youthful vitality that would then maybe be able to keep them exempt from deportation. So that was just a really fascinating thing oh, that they wow. used their laboratory equipment in the pharmacy to make this hair dye that then very much saves some people's lives. Wow, I've never, ever heard that before. That's really interesting. Wow. Um, so they um, use their skills uh, to help people in, in a variety of ways. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so uh, how do you get into, like, the setting for it in the Krakow ghetto? I, I'm sure you did a lot of research on that, but... Um, I know when, when you're know. writing, sometimes you kind of like identify with the character so much you can almost see yourself there. How did, you, how did that work for you? 
So I, for me, that really all comes back to research. I did extensive research, um, you know, both because, I mean, these are, these are very, very deep and very tragic times. So it, it was even hard emotionally to go to those places. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tanya is a young Jewish woman, so for her, I was reading memoirs and testimonies by, you know, women who were in the, you know, in these, the ghetto and in the concentration camps and labor camps and hearing, you know, these heartbreaking stories. One of them that I found was really moving was a woman named Helena Jonas Rosenzweig, and she um, later um, went to the Plaschow camp and worked for the commandant, who many people know from the film Schindler's List, Eamon Gett, but while she was in the ghetto... Mm-hmm. Um, in the summer of 1942, these deportations were taking place, and her father was um, chosen to be deported. So he's saying goodbye to his family right before he's led away to be deported, and he turns to his family, and he looks at them, and he says, don't worry, they need me, I'll be all right. And that is this woman's last memory of her father. And so, you know, reading these stories and just, like, listening, I mean, I listened to this as an interview that was made available from the Holocaust Memorial Museum, and just the pain in this woman's voice years later as she's remembering her last memory of her father. So those kind of things really helped me, you know, to see these real individuals. And I really sought to honor these experiences, you know, and to portray it you know, as, yes. as best as I possibly can. Oh, my goodness, yes. And people need to hear it because, you know, history has a, a way of repeating itself. Um, so I, I think, you know, too few people really take time to to dig into the history um, of at times like this, you know, just awful. Um, was there a lot of disease in the ghettos because they were, they were just sort of walled away? Um, like typhus or cholera or any of that? Um, in the Warsaw Ghetto, which is, um, you know, I think the Warsaw Ghetto is the ghetto that most people are familiar with when they think of ghettos mm-hmm. in Poland. Um, there was widespread disease in the Warsaw Ghetto. In the Krakow Ghetto, there was, but it wasn't like the widespread typhus outbreaks. Um, the ghetto, um, you know, there was overcrowding and things like that, but for just whatever reason, they didn't have that. I'm sure the pharmacy just providing medicine, um, you know, keeping people in good health definitely helped with that. But, no, there wasn't anything, like, really widespread. Oh. Um, what inspired you the most in this book? Or do you have, like, a favorite chapter or or something uh, in the book or a favorite, a favorite anything, a favorite character? Well, I loved exploring the true story of these pharmacists. I mean, there were these three women who worked with Tadusz Pankovic, um, and, you know, I included um, a fictional character, you know, and they were all women, and they were all in their 20s when they were doing this. So these are non-Jewish women going into the ghetto every day, past the guards, showing their papers to the guards, spending all day working at this pharmacy, you know, witnessing the suffering of the Jewish people, essentially living in two worlds. And so I really wanted, I just, I loved exploring, you know, what it must have been like for these women, you know, living not only in occupied Poland, which was, you know, difficult in itself, but then witnessing all of this and wondering, you know, how can I help? And I'm sure they often felt like what they were doing was so very small in the midst of the devastation around them. And so I really loved exploring the char- all of that through the character of Zosia. What do you think inspires people to risk their lives to help others? 
Well, I think that for them and then and, and also for, you know, reading and studying many other people who did similar things in the Holocaust, I think it really comes down to that they believe that they cannot turn away and they believe that they must do something because they cannot do nothing. They cannot remain silent witnesses of this evil that's going on. And, you know, Meep Gies, um helped Anne Frank and her family, and she talks a lot about being a small light in a dark room and that that is something that she feels that, you know, everybody can do. And I think that, you know, the Second World War was very dark, but yet there are these small lights who rise above their circumstances and make a difference. Um, I know you, you weave a lot of love and hope in this, and um, how, do you, how did you weave the faith in, into that blanket? So that was very important. Um, you know, like to use a word such as hope in regards to the Holocaust seems rather incongruous because, I mean, we look at the Holocaust and it was the systematic genocide of over 6 million Jews as well as innumerable others. But there was glimmers of hope, you know, in the resilience of the Jewish people who fought to preserve their dignity and their faith in the midst of unfathomable horror. And in, as I was saying, you know, those non-Jews who gave of themselves to offer aid and shelter or simply a moment of decency to another human being. And so... For me, though, well, though, I wanted to unflinchingly portray the, the realities in the darkness. It was also important for me to portray hope and humanity within the pages of the story. Oh. And, and, um, and so how did this affect your writing this? You said it was very emotional. How does it affect your life and maybe in relation to things going on in the world today? So it was um, it was the most um, challenging story I've ever written. Um, for a long time, I really didn't even share much about the story on social media because there were some times when I wondered if I was ever going to be able to finish it. Um, but I think what inspired me and what kept me going were the the fact that in the midst of it, there was light. There was people who chose to to risk their lives and to offer you know to offer help to another human being. And so I think that these stories they really illuminate the capacity of ordinary men and women to defy evil simply by doing what they know to be right. And I think that we can do that today, that we may not live, you know, in occupied Poland, but there is so much, you know, there are so much brokenness in our world today, and each of us has the capacity to uh, make a difference. Now, you worked on this book for a very long time. Can you tell us how long? Um, The novel, um, I believe... Writing it, I know, took was um, around two years, and then research was even longer than that. It took me um, longer than I was expecting just because of the the depth of the research and the history. And, I mean, writing these dark topics, I found that I wasn't able to write at my usual speed, and so it did take me longer, and I was just – but, I mean, the whole process, it was, really, it was really a humbling experience to delve into all of this history and to explore these little-known true stories. And would you say that you know sometimes when you're when you're writing a his, uh, a, a fictional narrative of a historical event um, that you take longer because you want to really truly honor these uh, these characters and these people um, so it it just does take longer, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, to do it. It does. It does. I felt like this wasn't something. I mean, I've done novels. I've written in Regency England. I've written novels that were set in, you know, 1800s Texas. And and these stories, they feel different because I feel like it is this real history. And it's history that wasn't so very long ago. I mean, this year marks the 
80th anniversary of the liquidation of the Krakow ghetto. I mean, 80 years is the span of a life. And so in a way, though, it feels distant, it really wasn't. And we still have survivors today, you know, who actually lived through this. And so I think it's just so important to keep sharing these stories, especially to the next generation. I mean, you know, as more and more survivors pass away, this history is fading from living memory. And we just we really want the world to never forget. That's true. That's wonderful. Um, well, what about what you're working on next? What's um, what's on the back burner? You probably had a lot of things on the back burner while you were working on this. <laughs> yeah. So, so currently, I'm working. I'm, my next novel returns to um, Poland during the Second World War. It is set in the war in Warsaw, Poland. It explores um, the story of two sisters and their individual journeys of resistance amid the backdrop of the war. Um, it delves into historical events such as um, the Warsaw Ghetto and Irena Stendler, who was a courageous Polish um, social worker who rescued children from the Warsaw Ghetto. So it explores um, her and Irena and the other, the group of women who worked with her through one of my characters. And it also explores um, a very little known, especially here, facet of Polish history, um, the, um, the Polish underground army and the Warsaw Uprising of 1944, when the Polish resistance rose up in Warsaw in an attempt to take back their city. And it was a 63-day um, very tragic uprising that ended um, in defeat for the Poles um, and the Germans crushed mm-hmm. the uprising. But it's, So it's all of these stories of, again, ordinary people who are courageously standing up for freedom, standing up for human life. And I've loved writing it, and I'm really excited. I'll be sharing um, on my social media a cover reveal um, in the coming months, so readers can certainly stay tuned for that. Oh, wonderful. And, and again, your website, well, you're on social media. I mean, you're on what, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram? Or tell us what you're on. Yes, Everything. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, I'm I'm not as active on Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram, I'm very active and love connecting with readers on those platforms. And also, you have a website, amandabarrett.net, and that's two R's and two T's in there. <laughs> Um, And now for, um, there's so many um, aspiring writers out there. Can you tell us how you got into writing, how you started? So my very first contracted project um, was with um, Barbara Publishing. It was for a novella collection I had been writing for many years before that, sending out novels to publishers and getting accumulated in lots of rejection letters. Um, so my first story was in the Most Eligible Bachelor Romance Collection, and I've been very um, blessed and fortunate to work on many novellas with Barbara Publishing and then with my other publisher, Kriegel. And so those, um, and then I started writing more novel-length fiction. Um, my very first, um, I would say, full-length novel um, was My Dearest Dietrich, um, the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his fiancée Maria von Wedemeyer. And so that was my foray into World War II novels, which then led to me writing um, The White Rose Resist, which is inspired by the true story of a courageous group of German college students who resisted um, Hitler. They formed the White Rose Resistance. Sophie Scholl was one of them. And then that story led into this one. So um, for me, writing has been a journey. It's been writing a wide variety of things, and I've been really grateful to share all of these stories and to explore history, which is one of my passions. Um, do you have um, a writing schedule? Like you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write for two hours today, <laughs> and that's it. And I'm gonna research maybe for an hour. Do you have any sort of schedule like that? 
Um, well, research is, a pro- is something that I do throughout the process. I do the bulk of it beforehand, but then I continue to research. Um, when I'm on deadline, I'm writing probably over over eight hours a day, um, sometimes longer. Um, so ba- mm-hmm. I, I start. I do my best writing in the morning, and so I will get up and you know get ready for my day, and then I'll just sit down and write until you know for for a good portion of the day, depending on what I have going on. But you know, I do. I find it's helpful to be disciplined. You know, I think that the more you write, the more you know those creative muscles continue to get you know strengthened and things like that. So I found it helpful to be as consistent as possible. Um, do you ever have days where you you're just like, I just can't write today? <laughs> Yes, I mean, yeah, I definitely do. Um, with this, with within these walls of sorrow, there were some really hard days um, where it was just the weight of the story. It was it was intense, and so I did, you know, I did step had to step away from the project a bit. Um, and yeah, I think it's important as a writer to give yourself grace to understand when you can push yourself, and then maybe when you need to take a step back and refuel creatively. Because I think as a writer, our whole lives inform our writing, so we don't always have to be staring at a keyboard to be, you know, doing things that will inform our stories. I feel the same way too. I think sometimes you need just a day just to get away from it. And sometimes you, you do get inspired more when you come back. You're like, oh, wow, I needed that. I needed that day. Oh, absolutely. You know? I think that that can just be really, um, it can be just really creatively refreshing. And, and when, I think that when we, make, when we deepen ourselves as people, we pour into our stories as well. So I think, honestly, sometimes those times of stepping away and just living life really we come back to the page enriched. What advice would you give to new writers, aspiring writers today about how to get published? Because I, I think a lot of them um, are frustrated <laughs> with how long it takes. I mean, for some, I mean, the average time it takes to get published is usually 10 years at least. Um, it's not always the case with everyone, but do you have any advice you'd give to any of them? Um, well, um, I think that um, one of the things that I would recommend is if you can go to a conference, um, that can be a really wonderful way to make those industry connections. Um, if you're writing in for the inspirational market, the American Christian Fiction Writers is a wonderful conference. It's held once a year. I went to it many times, and um, it was really pivotal, in not only in making, you know, making just some wonderful friendships, but also connecting with industry people. Um, another thing I think that's really important is just to be, con- even now, even in pre-published days, building a community, you know, and, and celebrating the authors that you love so you can form those connections that maybe when you become published, then they'll, they will, they will you know, be excited to cheer for you. So, you know, mm-hmm. reviewing their books, posting about them on social media, I think that that can all be just, just forming relationships, that authentic relationships. And I think that the writing community is just, a wonderful um, community of people who love to support each other and love to cheer each other on. So that's been beautiful to see. And I think, you know, like writers get each other. <laughs> it's so hard to explain uh, sometimes to your family, like, what are you doing? They're like staring out a window. No, I'm, I'm plotting. <laughs> I'm thinking about my character <laughs> or I'm sad. My, I just killed my character. <laughs> yeah. And they, yes, they don't yes. get that. Yes, I know Brandilyn Collins um, frequently MCs the ACFW conference, and she always will introduce it. Like, you know, we get you here. You can argue with your character on on the floors where the conference is taking place, and people won't look at you weirdly. But when you go down to the hotel lobby, you have to, you know, pretend you're normal and not do that. 
<laughs> and it is true. It, you know, we're just a peculiar, we're peculiar folk. <laughs> well, I certainly enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed chatting. And um, I'm so excited for you uh, with this um, new novel. And I wish you the best. And, and that readers out there, I hope you go out and get a copy and uh, or order one today. Um, it, no, it's... Um, this book is available, right, for everyone. It just it just released, right? Yes, yes. it's yeah. available. So it's on available all in every form. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it, and um, I'm, I'll be looking for your next one. <laughs> thank you so much, Linda. This has been such a joy. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye.